Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Laura Malcolm. Laura is a 10-year startup veteran, having worked on teams large and small to bring both B2B and B2C products to market. After experiencing the unexpected stillbirth of their first child, Laura and her husband James saw how much work was created for their friends and families that wanted to be supportive from around the country, and they knew that there had to be a better way. In 2016, they launched Given Kind, a platform that's changing the way people give, receive, and coordinate support through major life events, allowing users to lend a hand from anywhere. Laura and James now have two beautiful boys, and she serves as a board member for Pregnancy After Loss Support. Welcome, Laura. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Of course. Um, and I'm grateful to Leslie for making it happen. Um, we've, you and I have been in so many of the same rooms and kind of peripherally met. And then in talking to you, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to have you on the podcast because um, this is such a cool business and your story and the timing and everything. I'm personally using it right now. And what a, what a gift to everyone and a sad way for it to come to be. But um, I guess a, uh, a light at the end of the tunnel when you think about what you've, what you've given back to everybody through this business. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So we are going to start with some rapid fire. Um, what is the trait that you most cherish in a friend? Oh, um, the ability to listen. I think that friendship is the ability to truly sit with someone in their moment, in their time, um, without the need to layer on top our own feelings. And so to me, my best friends are the ones where we can just sit with each other through those moments and be a, you know, a space that we can mm -hmm. use for, for sharing things that um, we might not share otherwise. Yeah, I like that. Um, what is the best way that you have found to keep your boys entertained during this pandemic? You know, time at home with the fam. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am very fortunate that I married an artist. And so luckily he does a lot of the entertaining. Um, our house right now, they took whatever things you saw on the internet about people making stuff out of cardboard. They did it. We have an enormous cardboard playhouse. We have a two-story cardboard slide. They have been um, crafting incredible works and playthings out of cardboard. So Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, How old are the kids now? Two and five. Two and five, yeah. I think it's great. Yeah, the it's other one I will say is um, Netbricks. We signed up for a uh, Lego subscription. Now, I don't think they were fully prepared to scale to the needs of the pandemic and everybody signing up for their service. Um, oh, interesting. But Legos, Legos by mail uh, 
has been um, very easy. The only way that my five-year-old was going to get to build a Star Destroyer, of course, they started at the top Lego set. Um, oh, that's awesome. Okay, so are you, Laura, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Or, or the in-between, ambivert? I have recently learned that I am in between. Um, I didn't know that that was, um, and I, I have not read enough to understand whether I'm an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert. But mm -hmm. I, um, I love public speaking. I hate networking. Like, gives mm -hmm. me deep-seated anxiety, but I can stand on stage. And apparently that sort of classic uh, difference between introverts and oh, extroverts. Interesting, okay. What is a word um, that is most often used to describe you as a leader or your leadership style? Ooh, um, authentic. Nice. We, uh, we really value and encourage authenticity um, within our company. And as we grow our company and as we look to our leadership team, um, uh, we are very much into bringing our whole selves to work and as we'll talk about you know what given kind is and um you'll understand the types of people that come to work at given kind many of whom have a story of their own and a reason to be there mm -hmm. and um, we help people through so many different situations that um i think really respecting the fact that everybody has a reason to be there and mm -hmm. creating space to recognize that is a really important part of who we are as an organization yeah. Um, what is your favorite music genre or type of music to listen to? Oh, I, so I'm one of those people that this is very hard to peg down because I was raised with such a wide array of music. So we listen to everything on a daily basis here. Um, but I will uh, say that my heart is with... Um, uh, my my dad's genre of music, which my husband calls storyteller rock. So mm. the the John Prines and Lucinda Williams and Nico Case is from here. Lyle Lovett, I've seen a bunch of times. So, I mean, I think that spans, touches many of the other genres that we listen to, but I have a special place in my heart for the storytellers. Yeah. Well, this, this is not linked, but slightly linked, I guess. If you could be a famous singer, actor, writer, or athlete, what would you choose? Oh, I am... Um, can I just choose to be a famous entrepreneur? I have uh -huh. no skills. I well, have never but that's why I'm saying myself. if you could if you could have a skill, I guess that would be the other the better if you could act, sing, write, or play a sport. Um, I guess I would be a singer because I do have a passion. You know, I I, I mean I would even take just being a really good karaoke singer. Yeah, right. No, I get um, it. Because I want to tell stories. <laughs> I want to use my voice and yeah. have if it actually sounded good no i understand that that's yeah you could be a famous entrepreneur i think you're about you're on your way right all of our <laughs> listeners need to help make that happen well, well we're gonna get into your story i've got one last um rapid fire question for you um i guess it would be what would we our listeners or anyone for that matter be surprised to learn about you Ooh. Um, this is actually, oh, I have so many because this is one of my favorite, this is like one of my favorite, you know, two truths and a lie is like one of my favorite games. Um, I, uh, before I took an abrupt career shift into tech, I was a, uh, nanny to the stars. So I did lots of celebrity and high profile, high security, um, nanny positions. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, and then under NDA, I'm sure many, many NDAs. Yes. <laughs> 
So a lot of, lot of fun stories there that only occasionally come out. Yeah. Well, to, I could give you a couple martinis and get them coming out of you. <laughs> I'll make it happen down the road once we're in person. Um, okay. So take me back. Cause that's actually super fascinating um, beginning of your career. I would, I would definitely argue that that sets you up for just about anything. You can take that. Right. Um, but where, where are you from? So I'm from the Northwest. I grew up um, outside of uh, Gig Harbor, which is outside of Tacoma. Um, mm -hmm. I grew up in a rural area um, at the end of the Key Peninsula, um, and then went to uh, went to high school uh, in Tacoma at Charles Wright Academy. Oh, you went to Charles Wright. Okay, cool. And then you ended up at UW. Mm -hmm. What did you think when you were in college that you kind of wanted to be when you grew up? So I thought all the way pre-college, I was going to be a doctor. I was supposed to be a doctor. It was the only thing I ever wanted to be. Um, and I thought that all the way up until sort of the, you know, halfway through my sophomore year at UW, which I think is a really common time for people to realize that they are um, actually not going to go to med school. If they're yeah. not going to go, that's what kind were of the you, time. What was like kind the, of doctor did you think you wanted to be? Um I anything touching children and babies. So oh. as I was it was going to be a pediatrician or, you know, perinatology specialty, BNOB. So anything with babies and kids. That's and I just, kind of fascinating, don't you think? Uh, Given this yeah. whole like story, that's amazing. And were your parents doctors or do you have anyone in your family that's in medicine? Nope. No, I mean, I have family that's in medicine, but I wasn't exposed to it in that way, but I was fascinated. So I was reading, you know, the like, your home medical book, you know, the, the books that before people access everything on the internet, you know, so my mom had the like, you know, you look up like my kid has a rash, you know, yeah. so I would read all of those as a young person, oh, just consuming wow. physiology and medicine. Um, organic chemistry broke me at UW and then I thought maybe I would go to nursing school and then um, and then I got a psychology degree and uh, which I think leads into product management um, yeah. but I didn't really know necessarily what I was going to do with it right out of school. Yeah so you did the nanny thing and then you somehow launched your way into tech how did that transition happen? Yeah so uh, you know given kind of some for better or worse, uh, you know, a sequence of sad events. Um, I was uh, well before recently... the given before the given kind part. Like, just you had a whole career before given kind in the yeah. startup world and product and marketing. Like, how do you? How did you? Did somebody take a flyer on you when you were a nanny and then said, "Now I want to get into tech"? No, my dad died. Okay. That's the first in the series of sad events. Um, yeah. So I was working as a nanny and my dad um, had, a, had a heart attack at 50 and passed away. It was completely unexpected. Oh. Um, and he had made a transition um, in his life into tech. When I was growing up, he was a tugboat captain. He ran uh, the Red Stack tugs, Crowley, that people see leaving Seattle um, to and from Alaska. And he was gone for months at a time. And while he was out on the boats, he taught himself to program little handheld computers. And he was always into technology. And I grew up with computers and, uh, you know, modem connections to BBSs and um, so exposed to a lot of technology. Uh, and then he made a transition partway through my childhood and um, had a couple of startups of his own and then went into project management in um, evidence discovery. And then, uh, and then he passed away. And I'm so uh, sorry. Well, thank you. But it, you know, that was the first catalyst 
towards uh, building given kind and really for the transition of mine into tech. So um, after realizing that, you know, feeling a little lost and um, I had moved to, to LA and I was working a nanny job there and uh, realized that I didn't want to be a, a, a nanny forever. And, um, and I saw a job posting for a content manager for an early stage startup. And I thought, gee, maybe this is what I should give a try. It was a really logical transition in that case. It was, it was interesting. The family that I had been working for, um, I did really heavy research. They were into, um, it was kind of the early phases of the green eco, raising your baby, like what sunscreen should we use? And I would do yeah. all this research to be like, well, these are the different types of sunscreen that you would do for kids and mineral based and all this stuff. Yeah. And then it was a eco shopping website. Mm. And this was 2007. And How perfect. Um, Cause you're like, I can write about that. Yep. So they needed someone to research products. I learned about affiliate marketing and links, and I really learned about product management. Um, and one of the founders of that company ended up being my mentor. I still consider him a mentor um, through this entire journey. And and you know that when that uh, when that company ran out of money, that my mentor hired me. He had moved on to another role. He hired me there, which allowed me to become a first hire at an early stage startup, at an incubator with some very experienced entrepreneurs who I got to then see through early growth phases. And so, um, so you've know, kind of been in there, like having like a seat at the table without it being your own capital or your own name, your own kind of, uh, I guess, risk, but you've gotten to learn. It's almost like getting your own little MBA. Absolutely. I mean, I think that that is one of the most valuable ways um, that that somebody can learn how to how to have a startup. So I think if you have someone who's young and wants to wants to start a startup, wants to be an entrepreneur, like the best thing that you can do is not try and figure out um, all of the all of the lingo and all of the behaviors, and you know you can't just jump into your own technology startup. Mm -hmm. You, I'm a I am bullish on numbers and metrics and KPIs and all of the really, uh, you know, having a company that is efficient. And um, I think that you have to learn that stuff on someone else's dime, frankly. Yeah. Learn on the job. Yeah, it totally makes job. sense. Mm -hmm. And so um, I read in the intro about um, what happened, losing your child, um, and that that made you and James realize kind of like there has to be something out there that makes this a little easier for our friends and family all over the country to try to help. Um, were you like clear, was it a moment of like, aha, we should do this? Or was it like somebody should do this and on to the next? No, it was immediate. And it was me channeling my grief in that way. So we, I had, um, I was working as a product manager. I was working in, uh, in local listings, um, helping businesses and consumers find one another. I was working for the, the, one of the major yellow pages companies and, um, I was getting ready to go out on maternity leave. I was trying to do a launch. We were launching a major new product. I had two weeks left until I was out on maternity leave. And of course we pushed the release until, you know, the very end. And, um, so I was, you know, I was eight and a half months pregnant and, and, uh, and then we found out that our daughter would be, um, inexplicably stillborn and, uh, didn't even know that was a thing. Um, you know, when we, you say inexplicably, I'm learning on the, on, in this podcast. So that's something that they just say, sorry, it just happens sometimes. There's nothing yep. wrong. Correct. 
there is of the um, one in 20 births that uh, can be a late term loss, which is defined as a loss after sort of the midpoint of pregnancy. Um, half the time, there is no explanation. There is no, she was a six pound, nine ounce, otherwise completely healthy baby girl. There is absolutely no, I mean, there's, there's guesses. Could she, the cord compression rate, but there was no knot in a cord. There was nothing genetically wrong. They ran every test in the book. Um, and yeah, they just say, sorry, sometimes that happens. And it's devastating. I, I can't imagine, you know, if I had been close to you at the time, and I do pride myself on being that friend and being a good friend, probably could be a better listener. I tend to try to fix and get in there and like make things better. And I'm like action friend. Um, I would have wanted, I would have wanted given kind to like set it up and make sure you were equipped. But, but it's like, you just don't even have the words, you know, to say, no. there's nothing to say. And we saw our friends and family struggling with that. So they actually jumped on, who is now one of our, our main competitors, a site called Meal Train. And um, they set up a Meal Train for us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we just went home and we didn't need anything. We didn't need money. I mean, I was on, you know, my job was like unlimited leave. My husband's too, like you guys take whatever you need. You know, all of the, there was no, you know, we didn't need financial support. Um, and it was just the two of us. We didn't have another kid to care for at, you know, at that time. And um, uh, so, the, so they, they set up a meal. Yeah. So they set up a meal train for us. And um, it took a few days of these, these meals arriving on our doorstep um, before I said, well, I'm going to go on and see like what their, you know, what this is. How, how are these meals magically appearing in this cooler? Because the directions from our friends were just, there's going to be a cooler outside your house. And every day, you know, between five and six food will show up. And if you want the login, you can have it. Um, and like any good product person, I looked at Meal Train and I went, this is what they're using. And also, like, not only was it old and clunky, but it was creating extra work because our friends and family were spread across the country. And so, um, you know, they would sign up and then they were texting each other and texting, you know, our local friends, finding out like, well, what restaurants do they want an order from? How do we get them groceries? And my aunt was calling around trying to find somewhere to deliver groceries. And this was 2013 and we were in LA. So like we had Instacart, we had Uber Eats and nobody else in the country had them or knew about them. So I'm seeing all this work being created. I don't want to talk to people. I haven't talked to anyone at this point, but I'm in my notebook like drawing, this is how it should work. When you click on sign up for a meal, it should show you the restaurants that are available in their area. It should show you your grocery delivery options. Mm -hmm. And not only that, it should tell you, here's what you say to a loved one who lost a baby, mm -hmm. which is very different from if you're trying to show up for someone who's undergoing cancer treatment or you're, you know, you're showing up for someone who, you know, is a, is a, is an 80 year old widow. Mm -hmm. Those scenarios are different. The desire to help and the behavior is similar, but you want to wrap it. So at that point, we really, we had thought, you know, we were going to have, have taglines like support the supporters. We were trying to make this easier, not for us. We were trying to make it easier for our friends and family who you knew wanted to help. Yeah. I, it's ironic mm -hmm. because as I started to get on the phone with you, I was telling you that we've got a friend who's starting chemo treatment and 
our daughters are going to walk the dog. And in my mind, I was like, well, if they can't do it today, I'm just going to reach out to our other friends and see if they ha can, someone else can do it. And, you know, obviously your site allows the pull down of like all those different needs. Um, but also yesterday I went by to walk the dog with my daughter and I brought flowers and he's like, I'm so sorry, we can't accept flowers. And I had never heard that. So I love that your site also has like, know this, know that, so that the person who's creating the page can help guide you. Yeah. And then it gave yeah, the work. Should... I was like, this is incredible. Thank you. But we try and show the content there too, so that if you're, when you're on someone's giving kind page, you know, we're not, we do have the indicators for no flowers and no visitors and phone calls, but then we want you to subtly, not just so that you as the supporter have the information so that you might read the articles about showing up for someone during cancer treatment um, and see some of those things called out, but it removes the burden from the person who's going through that situation from having to tell you and be like, totally. well, it's awkward for me to tell you. And, you know, we, we, um, we have a lot of uh, families going through pediatric cancer treatment on the site. And I talked to, to those families as we were building Given Kind to really try and understand like specifically what some of their needs were. And one of our top articles on the site is um, sick kids and thank you notes. Why not to expect one? Because- Oh, geez. I would hope that they wouldn't expect one. But the burden is on, it's true, and people don't, but the way that the families feel, right, they feel like, ah, oh, now I need to sit and write a thank you note, or, you know, like, did you get my gift? Yeah. And so we try and be proactive with putting that content out there so that everybody feels cared for. I just want, I just want everybody to feel as cared for as we felt during that time. Yeah. And to with, the, really with the ease of 2020 and what we've come to expect, from a site or from e-commerce or from everybody's like now, 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 and they don't want to have to go on 20 different sites and manage 20 different lists. They want efficiency. And so this is a nice combo, I think, of both. So tell me more about um, the business model. Yeah. So, you know, because my background was in, I mean, was in a, a variety of revenue streams, I really looked at the behaviors that I knew that people took during this time. So things like sending flowers and sending meals or looking for a local business in an area. And, um, and so I started to look at affiliate programs. So I had had experience in what we call aggregated affiliate e-commerce. So bringing in a bunch of listings from different sources and monetizing each one. Um, people might know like shop style today does that for example. Um, and so I knew that there was a revenue opportunity there. And, um, and then my background in local listings also led me to say, well, if, if, uh, if I'm trying to find the right florist or dog walker or house cleaner in your area to send you, then I should be able to find who those local service providers are, who we know will come and work in this particular situation. Um, and so we're primarily driven off of affiliate today. We also send a, um, we sell a gift box that's really picked up a lot of steam in this I time. I saw where that with like tea and self-care mm -hmm. and I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. We just reshot all of those because they've, it's actually grown. It was intended really just to be a, an early revenue test kind of buoy for us while we picked up some other revenue streams. And um, it's gotten so popular that uh, we now have, they're like curated in a totally different way. They're really cute. So we just shot some new photography for those because they're, people can't go 
like the ways that we give support, if we thought that it was kind of broken before, like we can't do it now. We can't, we can't, we can't dry, drop off a meal at our neighbor's house. We can't go to the gift shop to like pick up something to send to our, you know, our sister-in-law just had a baby. And so, but, but all of those life situations are still happening. Like people are still having babies and people are still getting diagnosed with cancer. And like, it's even harder now. Way and harder. so I think that the role that we play in facilitating that where like I might've gone and packed up a care package full of groceries for someone who is sick. Like now I really, I have to do it with delivery. And so mm -hmm. I, I think we have an even greater role to play in making that easier. Yeah. Well, you're doing a great job. And so what, um, what did you get out of being a member or what has it brought you being a member of female founders Alliance? Oh, I love Female Founders Alliance so much. Um, I mean, it's been a part of my, it's been a part of my journey from almost the beginning. I, you know, we met, I met Leslie um, in the early versions of the Facebook group uh, when it was, you know, a hundred Seattle female mm -hmm. founders three years ago. Yeah. Um, I, I, had Les I had Leslie on the podcast. Um, you know, obviously in the very, very beginning. So for those who don't know about Female Founders Alliance, maybe give a little one sentence to remind them for the ones who haven't heard Leslie's podcast or been on their site. Yeah, the Female Founders Alliance is a community of uh, female and non-binary venture scale female founders. Started out as a Facebook group in um, Seattle, now has thousands or tens of thousands of members all around the country. Um, they've built an incredible program with some great programming and, and it really did start as, you know, fireside chats and, you know, a space for female founders to, to get to know each other and ask for resources and, and share opportunities. And it still is, but they've now been able to really expand their programming. And so, we went from um, you know being a member of that community to um, to getting to to have been accepted into their Ready Set Raise um, accelerator this last fall, which was very fun to come sort of full circle with them and get to be a yeah. part of that program. Oh, it's super cool! And so yeah, so I know that it, it sounds like the differentiator is you're starting to say the affiliate e-commerce um, relationships and structure that you have um, is is different, and also for Meal Train as far as just thinking of who a competitor could be, it's just meals. And I've used meal train on, on the receiving end and the giving end, but yours is like holistic approach to all of it. Do they need money? Do they need services? What do they need? And how exactly. do you make that happen? Yeah, we're really the only aggregated support solution. So yeah. we see our competitors as being meal train or lots of helping hands is kind of on the care coordination. Mm -hmm. um, you have GoFundMe for fundraising. You have Caring Bridge, which, tries to keep um, you know, friends and family up to date along a medical journey. And then you have you know, sort of the concept of registries or an Amazon wish list. And, mm -hmm. and how we look at that end is like, as a society, we've made it acceptable to say like twice, maybe I, besides when you're a kid, um, twice in you know, your adult life, you get to say, here are the things that I need. And it's when you get married and you have a baby. But otherwise, we haven't really said like put all the things that you need as an adult on a on a wish list or a registry. But when you're going through crisis, there are absolutely things that you need. Um, gift cards being at the top of them, we have really seen so many people putting on uh, gift cards onto their wish list. Those are ways that people need tangible help that's not 
just financial, mm-hmm. but we really are the only platform that um, has put together the care calendar, the wish list, the crowdfunding, and the user updates onto one right. place. That's what I love because you're kind of doing a little bit of all of those things, including the update of like, here's the story of the person and here's what's going on. Um, yeah. And so how have you been able to build those relationships? Because a lot of times those big companies are really hard to break into and you've got some pretty impressive names on your on your site. So with most of those, um, right now we are doing through what are sort of more publicly available affiliate programs, I guess. We're going through a lot of affiliate aggregators to have some of those products on the site, but mm. that is all changing now. So we are have a couple of big partnerships in the works that we'll be announcing soon. That's really exciting. That's going to help us make it much easier for people to um, do meal delivery ordering. As you can imagine the use case for that has grown significantly uh, in the times of COVID. So, you know, where I, I would normally make something and then drop it off for a neighbor. Like now I'm probably ordering for delivery. And so um, that's grown. So we're going to be doing a big meal delivery uh, partnership soon. Um, Same with, with gift cards. I mean, there are areas of the business that we had sort of thought um, early on, you know, people are going to be coming to us for a, for a curated selection of the right thing to send in one of these cases. And they do do that too. But what we learn is that people really just want, um, they want really uh, quick and actionable and efficient ways to help. And they want to feel like they're tangible is what I was looking for. They want to feel like they're being helpful, but people also don't love just giving money. So there is this psychological feeling. Yeah. And it's almost, it's almost hurtful. And yet nobody who's going through crisis is trying to be hurtful. But when you're at least for me, I'm a, I, I like to be, I like to help and I'm a nurturer. And so if I feel helpless as a friend, it's almost worse if they're like, we're good. I, I don't need anything. But usually that's just because they need the space to be able to just maybe to spend some time doing it and then not have to deal with like ping, ping, ping on the texts constantly. I would imagine that that would, you know, be a full-time job just trying to maintain updates and what you need. And so I love it. Um, how did you fund the company to begin with? Did you uh, just bootstrap sold, it? Yeah, we sold a house. Okay. Because we, on a whim, we were living in Los Angeles where I yeah. then had met my husband and um, and then went on to have our, our first uh, healthy son one year after our daughter was born. And, um, and so our son was um, a little over a year old. And uh, my husband had been uh, working as an art director for one of uh, for Apple's ad agencies. So he was making Apple ads. And he, he, you know, came home one day, as I think a lot of people in the advertising industry do and said, I don't want to make ads anymore. I want to make something that I feel passionate about. Um, and so we said, I think it's time to make, uh, to, to build given kind. And so we were trying to figure out how we were going to do it and, um, talk to some development shops in, uh, in LA and friends and in Seattle and where were we going to move? And we put our house on the market, um, because we were planning on leaving LA and we knew we needed some of it to, um, to fund the company. And, um, we ended up finding a development shop in Chiang Mai, Thailand, Mm. And we um, hired them and then 
packed up our bags and six weeks later we were on a plane with our uh, 15 month old and we worked from Chiang Mai for three months while we um, built the first version of Give and Kind um, and came back and launched the beta a few a few months after that. That's amazing. That's like that's like serious bootstrapping. Thank you. Well, it gets it gets better and worse. So we so we self-funded for two more years and we had slow growth, you know, just enough that we probably should have quit. Um, but I didn't. I had another baby and I just I wanted I never felt like we got it to what I wanted it to be. And like it's I don't know when it will ever be exactly everything that I wanted it to be. But I hadn't done enough yet. And so um, when our second son was um, a year old, we were um, out of money to keep self-funding. It just, it didn't make sense, the amount of money that we were paying on developers. And I didn't see the path necessarily um, from where we were to venture scale fundraising. Um, and so we had to make a choice because our developers were about the same price as having uh, both of our kids in daycare. And uh, we chose developers. So we pulled our kids out of daycare, we packed up our house again, and we took two kids back to Thailand because we knew that we could um, afford to live there and um, sat down with our developers and got the next version of Given Kind out. And we immediately started growing 20% month over month. Um, so we had great growth good traffic, good engagement, everything was going right. Um, I started having investor conversations pick up again uh, because our curve was going in the right direction. And um, so then I was in this conundrum of, well, we have customers who need customer support and we have investors who want calls and now I'm plus 15 hours away, but we can't actually afford to come back to the US. So after four months, we relocated to Mexico um, because I, <laughs> I could just triangulate here. We'll make one more stop. Um, and we stayed there for three more months and I flew back and forth to our first investor meetings. And, um, as soon as the first note was signed, we came back to the U S and, um, kept growing and then, um, got ready to, to actually raise our first round. That's incredible. And so you just raised a round or you're in the process of it or you just closed? Like, where are you with all that? We did just close. So we yeah. actually raised. Well, that's what I read that you just closed. And I'm like, I, I haven't heard of many people closing around during the pandemic. Yeah. So it was actually our second. So we closed around in November and then we just closed another one just now. It was, it was unexpected. Um, you know, when we, we raised the November round, I set out to raise, or I sort of went into the Ready, Set, Raise Accelerator uh, saying that I was going to raise a $500,000 angel or pre-seed round. Um, we raised just under $1.5 in about three weeks, which was amazing. Seattle just Stepped showed up. up. Nice. They did. Congratulations. The investors, everybody. Um, Madrona, Trilogy, Sea Change, 19 members of Alliance of Angels. Um, Grub stakes. I mean, they all jumped in. It was so validating. Um, validating that I think what they saw in that moment was that we aren't. We weren't just building a business. We weren't just building an impact company. We weren't just building a consumer platform. We just weren't building just something that helps people. All of those things are incredibly important. But to get that participation, it validated that they saw that we have a really good and compelling business and a massive opportunity. You really do. 
seeing that grow post COVID. So we raised around in November, started putting a team into place. And then it's like, man, my team had three weeks with their feet on the ground and then COVID hit. Yeah. And how has COVID impacted the business? It, uh, I mean, we went from 20% monthly growth to 40% weekly. It just jumped. Um, Mm -hmm. It was really interesting. We saw, so we saw, uh, you know, like I said, like, the, the life situations are still happening. So you have all of the, this, and this hasn't changed. So we had that number of users. And then um, you were getting COVID diagnoses and quarantines. And then you got the uh, frontline front workers. Is and crazy. then you have the frontline workers. So that yeah. was a really big one for us. That took off organically. We ended up with um, over 200 hospitals and healthcare facilities using Given Kind to streamline their meal donations. I mean, that was a new pain point for hospitals, right? I think that they nobody expected i don't know if in the like pandemic playbook there was a thing that said hospitals <laughs> will get this overwhelming number of community members who want to send them food yeah that's a that's a logistical nightmare right yes. so now you have these hospital operators who are answering all these phone calls like hey i'm calling from your local real estate office we want to send you a thousand bagels and they're like well when are they individually wrapped somebody's already coming this is the time of the coffee here's how many people are on the shift here's what you have to tell the security person and so um it started with a couple of um a couple of moms in chicago started they had had experience with given kind one of them had used it for someone in their community and so they started using given kind to organize for um multiple hospitals in chicago that grew very quickly around the country um we ended up um, with a lot of a lot of press and, and paying attention to sort of, you know, we saw we saw it throughout the U.S. the feed the front lines campaigns, but just given kind ended up organizing um, over a hundred thousand meals for frontline workers, which put about a million dollars back into restaurant economies. Oh, that's so cool! The that's, US. that's so cool, Laura. You must feel really good about that. I mean, that's I incredible because so many people feel helpless, right? And it's like the mom in Chicago, that's a lot of people are like, okay, how can I take these bagels to the, whatever it is, right? We all want to help. And so you're, you're giving people an opportunity to do that. You're facilitating the whole thing. Were you ever worried like my thing could crash? Like 40% Um, week over week? Like, are you, it sounds like you were well prepared in a weird way to handle it. Yeah, well, we were. Our, our customer support load was probably the biggest. The technology scaled beautifully. Our, um, our team had done, luckily, um, I have a very smart uh, co-founder who leads our technology team uh, in Thailand. And um, he took the time while I was busy fundraising in the fall to do all of the like tech debt stuff that makes product people like me just like turn turn away (laughs) no you can't take the time to do the tech debt i need you to build the features but while i was busy fundraising and didn't have time to put in for any more features they quickly did a bunch of scaling and infrastructure work um so we had no problems with the site um and now of course i had a team in place so i had a um i had a product and marketing and operations who were all able to help keep everything running smoothly and and uh and we did that's amazing. And so aside from doing things like this, which I'm super grateful that you chose to join us on the podcast, but how are you spending your time? Like what's the highest and best use of your time as CEO? 
Oh, that's a good question. And because we just came out of another fundraise, um, which was unexpected, but because of that COVID growth, uh, we were able to, to, um, to put together a bridge round to help accelerate that growth, which I'm so grateful for. Sea Change here in Seattle led that, uh, led that additional round. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm still sort of, we just sort of wrapped that up in the last week. So I'm coming out of that a little bit now. Um, and now we'll go back into a little bit of hiring, um, which, you know, is my role. Um, Although I'm grateful to have more help with that now. I, uh, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in the last few weeks, I think, thinking about leadership. We've, you know, there's been a, obviously like a lot of conversations right now about, um, about Black Lives Matter and diversity and racism and um, the roles that we all play. And as a leader of an organization, um, I felt like that's uh, in a brand um, is very much fallen on um, on me along with mm -hmm. my team. But, you know, yeah. it's my responsibility to think about um, how our, you know, our entire team feels supported and um, look at our own hiring practices and the way that we communicate with our users. And so um, let's say in the last few weeks, there's been a lot of um, reflection in a um, in a bigger organizational way than I had had planned. Um, yeah, good for you though. You know, taking a pause and realizing your role and how um, how to bring those conversations and those thoughts and emotions to light and create a safe space for not only your team but for anybody that's on your site and looking at it through that lens. Uh, you're, you know, you're ahead of the game. And I've been having a lot of these conversations also. And, and um, I keep coming back to thinking about values and thinking about recruiting against those values, which we've all talked about in the past. But I think that candidates are going to be making decisions more around values. And yours is obviously an important um, cause. Yeah. So I think it's great. Yeah. Otherwise, I am I am what I would consider a a, a probably too hands-on uh, founder CEO. So working on transitioning myself from being uh, in the weeds, touching everything all the time, and working on moving up into that more strategic uh, into that more strategic view. So yeah, well, I think you're doing a great job. It's good that you're that you're thinking this way, but take a minute to pat yourself on the back. We oftentimes don't even do that. Like take a deep breath and go, look at this. I just raised around. I'm crushing it. I'm growing and it's happening, right? If you look back and say, where were we two years ago? Um, it's just really, really cool and something that should be celebrated. You know, like if we were all together, it would just, it, you'd feel the energy of that because it's definitely, it's definitely happening. And from afar, I can tell you, it's really, really cool to watch. Um, and so how are you spending your time, you know, outside of given kind? How do you take time to take care of you? Um, so I recently started working with a, um, a holistic executive coach and breathwork practitioner, um, who I just adore already. And for me, I... I see how my um, my own you know physical permutations of of stress 
manifest for me. And so that was a good outlet for me is, is this combination of, of um, sort of founder emotional work and the physicalness of breath work. Um, I cycle and I walk and I run and I, I swim, but I have not, you know, when the gym will open again has made me really sad, um, to be missing that part out. And I, and I garden. So I am well, in the lot. yard that's doing great. yard work, pulling weeds. Um, we have a big, beautiful backyard. And so, you know, well, it's a place I can take the boys out and close the door. So all of those are things that we can do, you know, sort of as a family. Take care of yourself. Yeah. And what about any hacks or efficiency tools that you use that you can't live without that some of our listeners could learn from? I'm always asking because, you know, as a working mom, CEO, it's can be tough to kind of try to uh, have balance and get everything done. What do you like to use? I wish I had a productivity hack. Um, I get my, uh, well, I listen to audio business audiobooks while I swim. So when I'm swimming, I have waterproof headphones and I use that time um, because I am a multitasker. I yeah, can't. I'm the same not way. I, there's no way. When I see people that are like, I went on a walk and I was like, well, what? podcast did you listen to or audiobook or who'd you catch up with from college? Like I need yeah. to constantly uh be doing a couple things at once. Yeah. yeah, I don't it's that and maybe that's, you know, I don't know whether that is, you know, how that impacts productivity in the long run. Like if there's a, you know, sometimes you have to create space for thinking and have that be our you know, the way that we're productive. In I'm that not way. good like that. So, I've been saying that for years mm -hmm. and I've read lots of things and heard from other leaders who say it's actually not good to be a multitasker, but I think you either are, or you're not kind of, it's a DNA thing for me. I did switch. I did switch to superhuman email. I will say that I use the superhuman yeah, email. Oh my gosh. Well, you have to, it sits on top of your Gmail. It's $30 a month. It's one of those like invite only Silicon Valley things. Go and check it out and I can send you an invite. Um, well, I'm not on it is, now. I'm on a, I'm on Outlook. Can it work with my Outlook? I think it might. Should go have a super, look. It's a very clean, email. it's a super clean um, email inbox built on a thousand shortcuts. And it makes it so that you only like when one message is open, like that's all that you see, but you also see like the right side has the person's contact information. It like pulls in their LinkedIn. It shows you your message history with them. Like that has helped me be much more efficient. That's um, a hack right the there. That's a suck that is email. That, that, that's like a mic drop right there. <laughs> Super human email. Okay, I'm writing it down. That's helpful. Um, okay, so my ultimate question that I ask everyone is what fuels you? a belief that good things can come from bad situations. I have to hope that that helps. Like, I mean, like this is, this is what I've had to be living by for 13, 15 years, how many years since my dad passed away. Like I saw from the growth that came from every one of those excruciatingly painful situations. And I believe that we can grow and better things can come. I truly believe that that, that, that 
is what fuels me because otherwise it would be really easy to um to lose to lose energy and lose steam and lose hope especially when you know faced with really hard uh situations i think true to that you know an entrepreneur especially one who has sort of self-funded or hustled um you know has to has that belief ingrained Mm -hmm. in in their being otherwise i think that we wouldn't keep going it's a you know so perpetual optimism maybe yeah i like that i wrote down a few things you're giving some nuggets of wisdom i really appreciate it it was awesome um Thank you, thank you, thank you. So for our listeners, give in kind. I'm on there now. I'm super grateful. And thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take care. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.